Welcome to Blackhawks Insider, the official podcast of the Chicago Blackhawks, presented by ChevyDrivesChicago.com. Drive what Kane and Taves drive. Another great episode for you today. We interview Assistant General Manager of the Blackhawks, Mark Eaton. Mark specializes in player and prospect development specifically, and with the Blackhawks prospect system, very good, getting better, and having a lot of representatives at the recently concluded World Junior Championships Tournament. We get Mark's insight and input on the farm system as it currently stands. It's a prospect-heavy episode of the Blackhawks Insider Podcast. You won't want to miss it. And welcome in. It is great to be with you, everybody. I'm Chris Fosters, joined by my co-hosts, Colby Cohen and Kaylee Chelios. How's it going, everybody? Great to be with you. Excited for another round of Blackhawks Insider Podcast. Actually, guys, I need to remind our audience that an autographed Patrick Kane reverse retro jersey is on the table for our viewers. It's courtesy of ChevyDriveChicago.com. You can win an autographed Patrick Kane reverse retro jersey. The only thing you have to do is go to the website, ChevyDriveChicago.com, to enter and you get a Patrick Kane reverse retro jersey. The Hawks, that is, are wearing their reverse retro jerseys for the final time on Thursday against the Colorado Avalanche and picked up a win the last time they wore their reverse retro jerseys on Sunday against the Calgary Flames. So there's good juju around the reverse retros and good juju around this team right now as the Hawks have won back-to-back games for the first time since late October. Luke Richardson at practice, has been talking about how good the vibes are in the locker room. He said one day that it was almost regrettable that he had to interrupt <laughs> the, the buzzing that was going on in the locker room for a film session. That's how, how good the vibes are right now. And, and hey, when, when you win two games working as hard as this team has, you certainly understand it. But, uh, Colby, what do you think have, have been the keys to the last couple of wins for the Blackhawks? Well, I think we got to start with Lucas Reichel. Uh, you know, I think he's come up after, you know, opportunities last season, uh, didn't make the team, was disappointed he didn't make the team. But you know, the Blackhawks wanted to be patient, and you can see that patience really paying off uh, because it's built confidence in, in Lucas and the way that he's playing at the NHL level. And I think him and, and Brett Sini have, have really, you know, breathed some life and some excitement into the lineup. I think that you can feel the speed is just a little bit higher with those two players. And I think this is just a great lesson for all of us, really, of, of patience and that development is not a straight line for hockey players. There really is no, you know, perfect method. It's, it's up, it's down, it's call up. It's play well for two or three weeks. Maybe you drop off a little bit and then you end up having to go back down to the American League. And I just think that, you know, this approach has has worked with Lucas. And I'm just excited to watch him continue to grow and watch the effect that, you know, he's been able to have on the team in in kind of short order. And it doesn't mean that he's going to score three points every night. It doesn't mean he's going to be here the rest of the season. It just means that the path that Kyle Davidson and his staff, Mark Eaton, and his, you know, development team has Lucas on a good path. And and it's exciting. I think fans are excited about it. 
I know that it's exciting being between the benches watching this youngster play. Kaylee, you know, you and I are on the analyst side of things here with the Hawks and kind of like to, you know, pick apart little things that are happening in the games. But for me, I think that, um, you know, Lucas has brought a lot of excitement into this locker room and, and into the team. Yeah, I'm with you, Colby. I think a little injection of youth with Reichel, not yet 21 years old, playing on that top line. All of his teammates had nothing but great things to say about him after the game, and I thought watching him in Calgary was the first time I thought every shift he was out there, you could pull clips of little things he was doing right, and it wasn't necessarily in the offensive zone. It was all the little plays away from the puck, being a more complete player, that 200-foot game that Kyle Davidson has talked about wanting to see from him. I noticed it all game from him, which I thought was huge in in terms of, as you talked about, Colby, the development process not being a straight line. So last season, Reichel got a little taste of NHL action and they kind of left him wanting more. He didn't make training. He didn't make the team, like you said, out of training camp. Then Kyle brings him up to play against the New Jersey Devils and wants to give him, he said, a little taste of that speed and see if he can possess the puck more against a team like the Devils. He did do that more and they were really impressed with him. Now he comes up and he plays in back-to-back games against Arizona, but then Calgary, this tight-checking team that's big. They play a heavier game, and I still was noticing him more on the defensive side despite coming up with a three-point performance. Raise your hand if you thought the Hawks would be 2-0 and in Patrick Kane's two-game <laughs> absence. I mean, it's a crazy <laughs> sport at times, that's for sure. I, I thought Reichel's chemistry with Philip Kurashev in particular was very prominent. And, and when we were talking to Lucas during the broadcast of the Calgary game after the first period, he said it, it's nice having another guy that can speak German. And, and Philip Kurashev grew up in Switzerland speaking three other different languages besides English, Russian, French, and German. So I think uh, having that connection with another one of the younger guys on the team was another reason why Lucas Reichel looked so comfortable out there. And it's been fun watching Alex Stalock on the back end as well, getting some goal support uh, that has, uh, you know, given him a couple of wins. He had his first shutout as a Blackhawk in the Arizona Coyotes game on January 6th. And the team really feeds off his energy both in the locker room and on the ice. Sitting with Scott Darling in the studio and talking with him about goaltending and watching Staylock and just the way that Staylock is finding pucks through traffic is better than he did to start the season. You can really kind of see him get better. Look, Staylock hasn't played a lot of games in the last couple of seasons. You know, we've talked about some of the health issues. You know, he was kind of almost out of hockey at one point here over the last couple of seasons. So it's natural to see him getting better with the more that he's playing. And obviously he missed some time earlier this season. So I think Staylock, you know, is just going to continue, Kaylee, to, to get better and to really energize the team. It's great, too, that Luke Richardson's giving him a chance to, to be the number one guy at the moment. And for somebody who thought when their agent told them that a team wanted him, it was going to be overseas, I think he's, I mean, overplayed <laughs> what the expectations were at this point. I mean, other teams are probably going to be looking at him as well now, and I would love for Blackhawks TV to get a mic on him during a game because his personality and, as Connor Murphy said, he's probably the loudest one on the ice, uh, is so infectious. So the way he leads in the locker room as a veteran, uh, just a great person. And then the way he leads on the ice, he's always communicating back there. 
uh, like a third defenseman, sometimes like a forward. He's a wild man in net, but you're right. I think it's been really exciting every game that he's in to watch him play with that style, and he still plays like a, a kid in net and you know has that presence. He's a lot of fun to watch in net, and, and I, I think this is a coincidence, but we've seen a bump in play from Seth Jones recently. He's on his first three-game point streak of the season, coinciding with his nomination to the All-Star Game in February on behalf of the Blackhawks, of course, his first All-Star Game nomination with the Hawks. So much more to come uh, excitement-wise. We're uh, about a month away from the NHL All-Star Game. Last week, the 2023 World Junior Championships wrapped up with Team Canada winning the gold medal on home ice. And it was an event that a lot of Blackhawks fans and coaches, for that matter, had their eyes on with four Blackhawks prospects representing Team Canada and another, Victor Sternborg, representing Team Sweden. And we have as our guest on this week's episode, Blackhawks Assistant General Manager Mark Eaton, who oversees player development for the Blackhawks and does a lot of traveling throughout the NHL regular season to the various junior leagues that Blackhawks prospects may be participating in. He's made a couple of trips out to the Western Hockey League to check in on Kevin Korchinski and Nolan Allen. And it was it was really great getting his perspective on, on the World Junior. It's such a great showcase for future talent at the NHL level. Uh, and, and even in some cases, some current NHL players. But uh, Colby, I know you were keeping your eye on, on World Juniors in particular as well. And, and before we get into Mark's interview, uh, what were your takeaways on, on the World Junior Tournament? Well, I think that uh, this was especially exciting because it was in Canada. I think all the World Junior Tournaments should be in Canada because their fans come and show up better than any other place. And I, I thought it was a great tournament because there were some really exciting players to watch. You know, we were watching our Blackhawks prospects, you know, Team USA. I'm always watching, you know, with, with my connections to that, you know, group and team. But overall, I, I just I, it was a success. I think the best team won the tournament. Would have loved to have seen a U.S. Canada gold medal game. Um, but I also really enjoyed getting Mark Eaton's perspective on it. You know, him being the guy who looks after all of these prospects, whether it's our prospects or you know they're watching other teams' prospects too, because you never know what kind of trades are going to come up. You never know who's going to be available. You know, so just hearing his. Um, point of view on on the world juniors and really how how he's going about uh, splitting the seasons for the first half of the season the way he deals with prospects to the second half of the season you know it doesn't matter whether they're college or junior players and how they kind of deal with the trials and tribulations and and then there's there's a guy like Ryan Green who didn't make the world junior tournament who goes back to school and is is upset and he's he's disappointed and dealing with the letdown and and look I I also didn't you know didn't make a world junior team my first go around and was incredibly upset my freshman year and it it affected my play for the next couple of weeks until my coach basically slapped it out of me and was like you know let's go like this this is let's move on here it was a little bit of tough love that's right so um i i thought it was great to see this year i thought you know this was perfect timing to have mark on and again for the fact that we're in a rebuild here with the blackhawks getting his insight uh always appreciated 
I'll let Mark say it too. I just really appreciated him talking about the parody of this tournament too. As much as we all want to see a USA Canada on the gold medal round, just Czechia, Slovakia, these teams coming in that are no longer intimidated by Canada and USA and the scene that you mentioned, Colby, the fans that show up. And from what I heard, it was a great tournament as far as the hotels being walking distance. The rinks were super easy to commute to. So overall, great tournament as expected and really exciting to see some of those other countries step, step in and have the performances they did. All right, here's uh, now for a, another in-depth look at the Blackhawks prospect system. We now turn it over to our conversation with Mark Eaton. Hello, Mark. Welcome inside the Blackhawks Insider Podcast. It's great to be with you. Happy New Year. Uh, how's uh, the start of your 2023 been so far? Well, first, thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here with you all, uh, and, and Happy New Year to you all. Uh, start of the year has been great. It was a great uh, holiday. Got to spend a few days at home with the family. Enjoyed that time, and, um, you know, always fun to get right back at it in the new year to, to watch the World Juniors progress, so... Uh, it's a great start to the year thus far. Life as an assistant general manager, especially one that oversees player development such as you do, there, there's, a, there's a lot of travel involved. And uh, we know that you've been out in Canada, in New Brunswick, for the World Junior Championships. And some, uh, some Blackhawk prospects have been playing really well. We've been keeping our eye very eagerly on how things have been going for, for World Juniors. And what's your assessment, Ben, of the, of the Blackhawks prospects for, for Team Canada and, and a few other prospects out there for other World Junior teams? Well, I think first and foremost, just uh, the, the group as a whole, you know, looking at it from our lens and player development, it's, uh, it's a dream scenario for us. I mean, there's experiences are the most important thing for these young players and their development. And, and for these guys, especially the Canadian guys, to uh, the, the four that we have on the team, um, for them to experience the probably the highest of pressure situations that you could be uh, introduced to at the junior level they're experiencing right now, playing on home soil, uh, the biggest junior tournament in the world, um, and, and they've handled themselves well. So it's, it provides them an opportunity to find out a lot about themselves, find out how they uh, react in, in high-pressure situations. And, um, you know, we've been, been happy with, with their tournaments as a whole. And then, you know, can't forget... Victor as well over there on the Sweden team. He had a great tournament, um, you know, scored a big goal against Finland in the quarterfinals, shorthander to, to, to get Sweden to the semis. So, uh, again, him captaining that team, a great experience for him. And, um, you know, Ethan as well, assistant captain on Team Canada, playing a big role. So it's um, the, the experience that these guys are getting is something that I think they'll be able to draw from throughout their entire pro career because you know when you're playing in in game sevens in the stanley cup finals uh you know for the first time you you try to search for anything that you can relate it to and and i would say this is as close as it'll come for these guys mark when you look at um you know the players' development, how this tournament impacts that. And you mentioned just how high pressure it is, especially the scene in Canada. Like, how do you um, – what's the conversation like with someone like Kevin Korchinski, who's in his first World Juniors, and, you know, looking at these kids who probably think they see scouts, general managers, staff, and they want to 
perform to the best of their ability, but, you know, maybe the stakes can get high and it can be difficult to contain your emotions. You know, what do you, what do you see from young players like that and their development over the course of two or three World Juniors? And Bedard seems to be the exception with how well mm. he's performing under pressure in just his second. Right, right. Um, yeah, I, I think f for starters, we kind of stay out of the moment. We'll, we'll let them go through World Juniors uh, without saying a word to them, let them experience that 100% uh, with, with their team, their families, and then uh, you'll kind of just do a little uh, a bit of a debrief afterwards. And, you know, you mentioned Kevin. Uh, just have the conversations with him, get his take. What was his experience like? Uh, what, what does he take away from that? Uh, good chance he'll be a, a leader on this team next year for Team Canada. Uh, so what can he take from his experience this year to, and, and take that into next year? Um, and then get into their play, you know, ask them how they, they thought they played, how they, they handled those pressure situations and, um, you know, make note of it. And, and if it's certain areas that warrant revisiting as, as the, the rest of this season progresses and, and their careers progress, then, uh, you know, we have that kind of baseline from that, that initial conversation. Well, it's interesting that you talk about kind of the after effects of this tournament. And, you know, I, I've said a couple of times, this is really a 19-year-old tournament. And when you make it as an 18-year-old, Bedard being the exception, you know, normally you kind of have to play in a secondary role, even if you're a guy used to playing big minutes. So, you know, the rest of the season and, and looking forward, obviously, at Kevin Korchinski, Ethan Del Mastro, uh, really any of these guys, Nolan Allen and, and whoever our prospects could end up potentially being come this summer. Well, what does a day in the life look like for you, Mark, when, when you're working with these guys that aren't in Rockford? Are you traveling out to Seattle to spend time with these guys and maybe have lunch with them or look at film? Are you talking with their coaches? Like, where do you really slot in as, you know, our head of development and assistant general manager in the growth process for these, you know, young studly prospects that we have on, on this Canadian World Junior team? Yes. <laughs> no, so it's it's yes to, to everything that you mentioned in, in your question. So it's, uh, you know, I, I think talking with, um, you know, my staff like Eric Condra, Kendall Coyne, uh, the first half of the season, we like to watch a lot of hockey with these guys. We, we will we'll get out to lunch with them or get out to dinner, talk to their coaches. But I think in the second half, um, it's more of the, uh, building off of the first half uh, um, on the positives, building on that. Uh, were there any, um, I don't want to say negatives, but parts of their game that, that weren't as positive that, uh, okay, what can we do to, to turn that around in the second half? But it's more about, I think, in the second half, um, strength, strengthening that, that personal relationship, more, uh, more meals together, more conversations, uh, watching video face-to-face -face or at, at worst over Zoom. Um, so, and then a lot with the coaches as well, you know, keeping, keeping tabs from, from their eyes. They're the ones that are with them on a daily basis. So what are they seeing? Um, and, you know, not that we ever want to counter anything that, that they're teaching them, but um, sometimes a different voice uh, helps, you know, the, it's kind of like, 
attribute kind of associated with like me being a parent I can tell my kids something a hundred times will never listen but somebody else tells them and they'll listen first time so sometimes we can be that that other voice that that gets through to these guys for the coaches um but but yeah and it's kind of like the the situation here uh at the world juniors it's hoping that these guys can all have long playoff runs, experience playing meaningful games through April, May, hopefully into June uh, for our for our junior guys making uh, championship runs in their in their leagues and then Memorial Cup runs potentially. So again, that's that's our hope uh, that that they get to have that experience, um, and along the way we'll just uh, we'll keep building that relationship and having those conversations to, to help them in any way we can. And it's not just the, the hockey standpoint. It's the, uh, you know, the strength and conditioning, nutritional, the, the mental skills aspect. So just trying to keep that well-rounded approach to their overall development. Does it differ at all for a college player or is it, is it a very similar type of path or blueprint in, in at least your plan or, or is it very different because of different restrictions and, and scheduling and, and all that? No, I don't think it differs much at all. Um, you know, I, I think the the biggest difference is the the schedule, the, the volume of games. Uh, college obviously has that five-day window during the week where they, you know, they're able to do a lot more, practice a lot more, do a lot more off the ice. Uh, whereas the the junior guys are are basically playing a an NHL schedule, so um, if anything, with the college guys, you can supplement a little more on the uh, on the the physical aspect, the strength and conditioning aspect. Um, but no, I, the 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 relationship building, the conversations with the players individually, doesn't really differ from one league to the other. We're joined on the Blackhawks Insider Podcast by Mark Eaton, Blackhawks Assistant General Manager, really involved in, in player development as well. So this is a prospect-heavy conversation that we're having with Mark. Uh, you know, looking at the World Junior Championship again, Mark, a lot of star power on that Canadian team. Connor Bedard and Adam Fantilli expected to go 1-2 in the upcoming draft in later this summer, 2023. Uh, but looking at Blackhawks prospects again, Ethan Del Mastro, defenseman, fourth-round pick in 2021 by the Hawks. He's one of Team Canada's leaders in ice time, seems to be doing a lot of things really, really well uh, from a defenseman standpoint, a little bit under the radar. What can you tell us about his progress and, and kind of his skill set right now? And again, only, only 19 years old, seems to have a bright future. Yeah, his his progression's been great. Uh, you know, a, a kind of a, a steal in the fourth round, I think you could say. And um, you know, from uh, from the moment that we you know we saw him play the first time after we drafted him, you know, with his size, his mobility, um, you know, his ability to to read the play and, and defend well, along with his his uh, puck skills, uh, realized pretty quickly that the, you know he's a heck of a player, and, and he's only grown into that as time has has progressed and um you know with last summer's world juniors uh this world junior uh just playing bigger and bigger roles um in in all situations you know i, I hate to classify him as just a, like a shutdown defensive defenseman um you know because he, he does have that 
the the other skill set you know was a huge assist he made in the in the semifinals against the U.S. to to get Canada on the board. So that that was a a big turning point in that game, and and that's what he's capable of. He's uh, he's not a one dimensional guy, um, and, and he's one of those. You know, you look at uh, the, this. I think the success that a guy like Alex Vlasic has had in his transition to the pro game. A lot of times, that size, the skating ability, the smarts, it, it translates better at the pro level than it does the the, the amateur level, and um, you know that's that's a hope as well for for Ethan that that he may be an even better pro than he is a junior player. Mark, I talked to a couple other assistant GMs that were there, and they mentioned having to do like 15, 20 reports and file all these reports <laughs> on not just your prospects, but the opposing ones. How fast can you type now with all the reports that you have to file? Give us a word. They were not happy minute. about it. How many it's words still, per minute It's you still got? peck and poke for me. No, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's a uh, lot of work. It is. It is. Yeah. So, I mean, especially three games a day, um, you just – yeah, try to try to take copious notes uh, so that you're not trying to recollect too much because the, the games can run together, the players can run together. But um, yeah, I guess when you when you do it enough, it uh, you know you fall into a routine and uh, you can you can take care of those fairly quickly. How how is it looking at the other? team's opponents too just from a, a trade perspective as well is there anybody else um, that stood out to you that you can share with us um, other players that you notice whether it's at the tournament or through a larger body of work and they're at the tournament now that that maybe solidified what your thoughts were yeah I mean first it's uh, you know I love coming to this tournament because you do get the opportunity to see especially the European teams a lot of players and prospects from other teams that you wouldn't normally get the chance to see over here in North America. Um, so, you know, I won't say any specific names, but, you know, there's like a lot of, lot of first rounders from the last couple of years um, uh, that, that jump out. I've seen them a lot on video, but to see them in person for the first time, it, it's okay. You thought they were good, but when you see them in person, they're like, wow, even, even better. Um, so, you know, I think more the, from the countries that you, that I think by a lot of outsiders aren't viewed as hockey powerhouses, like Czechia, Slovakia, um, you know, Latvia had a couple prospects even. So to, to be able to see those players and, and um, you know, how they, uh, you know, they fit right in in this tournament and, and excel, it's, uh, I think, the, the state of hockey internationally is in a, in a great place with uh, with a lot of these other countries um, having great showings and, and showing that, that they belong and they can play with the big boys. Well, it's pretty interesting to hear you talking about the World Junior Tournament in particular. Obviously, we have a, a number of prospects there, and then there's a number of draft-eligible players there that could, could very well find themselves, you know, hearing their name called by uh, Gary Bettman when, when Kyle and, and – company are standing up at the podium here, you know, in, in six months or however far we are out of from the draft. But, you know, 
I'm sure we could sit here and, and pepper you with these prospect questions all day, but you know, I, I kind of want to talk a little bit about you too. I mean, you were a guy that I saw play for the Flyers um, when I was, you know, a young hockey player and and was in in my fandom. And and I know you grew up in the you know Philly area and in Wilmington, Delaware. And and you told us that you, you were a Penguins fan growing up but you your first team is the philadelphia phantoms and philadelphia flyers is where where you get your your start from um and and i'm just wondering when when you're a young hockey player and you're going through this and and you know you had your your one year at notre dame did you see yourself you know down the road getting involved in in management did you think maybe you'd be a coach um, I mean, because the reality is, is, you know, you became a general manager quickly, you know, you, 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 uh, you know, obviously impressed enough people from the time I ran into you on that airplane those years ago, um, and just recognized you when I was doing, I don't even remember what to now. And, and you're holding this incredibly important role and job for the Blackhawks. So was this always part of the plan for you? Did this just kind of come about? I mean, uh, it's always interesting to hear what people thought they were going to do versus what they actually end up doing. Yeah, I mean, that, that's a good question. I, To be honest, I mean, starting my pro career whenever it was, 90, 99, I think. I think 98. 99. Yeah. <laughs> um, you know, at that point, you're just trying to establish yourself, make it a career. Um, and then even as my career progressed and I, you know, was playing into the, the 11s and 12s, uh, was still just trying to eke out every, every game I could, every, you know, you know, every, uh, every year I could, uh, you know, as an NHL player. And then with the lockout in, in 2013, um, and really nothing going into that beforehand, as far as contract goes, that, that was really the first time I was afforded the opportunity to, okay, what, what am I going to do? Like, even if this season starts back up, uh, you know, I don't have a contract or anything. So, and all I knew was that I wanted to, to be in hockey somehow. It's what I've known my whole life. It's, it's what I know best. It's, it's what I love. Uh, but didn't really know what that avenue was. Uh, and then, but then was fortunate enough to, to be able to, uh, finish the season with Pittsburgh that year. And, and, um, I remember Todd Reardon at the time. He was the coach. He he coached the D, and and uh, you know there were some young D on the team at that time. Uh, Simone Dupre, Robert Bertuzzo, who's you know playing mm -hmm. for St. Louis still, um, and, and he kind of put it on me. He's like, use this as an opportunity. Obviously, help us any way you can on the ice, but uh, whether it's in development after you're done playing or coaching, you know you can kind of use this as a as a tryout and, and uh, an experience to work with our young D, take them under your wing, mentor them and, and kind of show them what it means to be a pro. So that, that was kind of my, my first introduction into player development. I was still playing at the time, but um, it was able to take that experience. And, um, you know, when I got the job in Chicago and just kind of hit the ground running with that, so to speak. Well, I'm glad you brought up Robert Bortuzzo because now I'm going to have to check in with him and just ask him if he has any good Reg, Reg Dunlop stories for us, player coach uh, Mark Eaton back there at the end of his career. So stay next time you have you on the podcast, I'll, it was I'll, more, I'll have an update. It was more keeping them out of trouble. It was, I, was the, I was the old guy staying at the hotel right there next to 
<laughs> was it PPG Paints Arena, uh, just keeping them out of trouble, you know, keeping those 19, 20 year olds out of trouble. So, <laughs> yeah, Mark, I kind of kind of got distracted just looking at the at the 2008, 2009 Pittsburgh Penguins team that that you were on and, of course, won the Stanley Cup with. And I mean, Malkin and Crosby. 21 and 22 at the time. They both had over 100 points that season. You had a great run in that Stanley Cup playoff, specifically uh, seven points, four goals in, in that Stanley Cup run. Uh, what do you remember about, about playing with that core, Malkin and Crosby and, and Chris Letang? I mean, those guys are, are, still, are still going strong. Yeah, obviously fond memories, you know, uh, just – Love every one of those guys on that team. Uh, you mentioned the the two big boys there, and Sid and Gino. Um, but I, you know, I think a key piece there was the trade we made for Billy Guerin that year. You know, he brought the kind of brought the personality into the locker room, and and the you know the the seriousness that that was Sid as a as a kid. Uh, you know, helped keep him loose and let him do his thing, um, and just it, it was funny I mean you see it a lot I mean you saw it with St. Louis when they won in 2018 was it um you know we were I think in 10th place mid to end of February and just got hot and and really just just kept getting better uh, every game sounds cliche but um you know squeaked out the Philly series in the first round got better there um, the seven game series against Washington and our, you could just sense our confidence building and building. I mean, it went to the finals the year before and lost. So, um, you know, I think that was, that was on our minds. Like, um, you know, a, let's get back there and then B when we do, uh, let's, let's not have that feeling again. Uh, it was, uh, an awful feeling, uh, something you don't want to have to go through again. And, um, you know, which we're able to put it all together. So, and I, you know, the one thing I realized, I think the most in, in going through that year is luck's the wrong term, but I mean, to, to win a Stanley cup, the, some of the, the bounces that you need to have go your way, uh, in your, in your quest is, I mean, I mean, I look at our, I think it was game three against Washington at home. We were down, already get down two games to zero was in overtime. Chris Letang scores a goal off the faceoff, went off two shin pads into the net and it's a two, one series. You know, if, if Washington gets that next goal, they get a bounce, it's three Oh, and we're probably out in the second round. So I some like of the I things, remember that goal. Yeah. Some of the things that you need to have go your way. It's, it's amazing when you, when you think back on it and say, okay, wow, if, if that happened to go the other way, we're, you know, probably out in the second round. So what do you make of a, a team like St. Louis who, like you said, I mean, I think they were maybe at one mm -hmm. point dead last going into the Christmas break. There was that viral video of two of their players Bortuzzo. fighting Bort at That's practice. his guy that he mentioned. Then, yeah, Bortuzzo. Yeah, that's what that. I taught him. That's, that's your, your what buddy I taught Bortuzzo. him. You got to keep him in line, Mark. <laughs> Hardly. <laughs> Did you give him a phone call? <laughs> Um, are there like, I mean, Colorado and, and Tampa, you knew that they were, you know, contenders and that they'd had this window and, and they were going to be maybe the team to beat, but St. Louis people didn't see coming. I mean, 
what do you make of the way they came together and, you know, what it takes and maybe any parallels you can see even in this rebuild for the Blackhawks, how you can come together as a group and play a second stretch of the season because it's such a long season, as you know, and, and be able to do that. Mm-hmm. Are there any teams now, too, that you think might be similar to St. Louis in that sense right now? Yeah, that's that's a good question. But I, I think the, the first part of your question with kind of where St. Louis was, and, and you talk about it a lot, um, like constructing a team, it's, it's almost like you need two identities. You need your regular season team, and then you need your playoff team. And I think uh, like St. Louis that year from the start of the season was built as a playoff team. And, and sometimes, you know, that, that heavy team uh, – I don't want to say less skilled when you compare them to teams like Tampa or Colorado. Um, it, it takes the, the the long season to allow them to to get up to speed. You know, the, a big heavy team like that, when you're in game 40, 50, 60, 70, you know, they're still feeling strong playing at their normal speed where other teams that aren't constructed that way may start to tire a bit and, and uh, you know, come back to earth, so to speak. And, and that's when they kind of uh, made their run. And, and I don't know if did they squeak into the playoffs that year or, if, you know, they, they got into the playoffs and then just, just never looked back. You know, that, that heavy style just allowed them to, to roll through teams in the playoffs. Um, you know, you saw it with Tampa when they were swept by Columbus. I think they learned a, a, a huge lesson there that, um, the, the success you have in the regular season doesn't automatically translate to the postseason. So they uh, made some tweaks. The, the players that returned, obviously, their core learned from that. And, and you know, you, you hear the, the cliche in hockey, sometimes you, you have to learn how to lose before you learn how to win. And that was evident with, with Tampa that that following year after they lost to Columbus. Um, I I don't have anybody for you for for this year uh, so far. Uh, I've spent so much time with our prospects. I watched less of the NHL, so I don't have a that good feel. Um, you know, who's the St. Louis of this year? It's it's hard to say. But there's, you know, teams. I know Colorado's dealt with injuries. I don't think that's a team you you worry about. That um, you know, Florida. Uh, you know. I don't. They probably don't. Haven't had the start that they've expected. But you know, I think they're a team that could could be dangerous down the stretch as well. Um, yeah, and you asked about how this with the rebuild with Chicago. Um, uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, not not saying necessarily this year, but you know, there will come a time when. Uh, Chicago's in that situation where, you know, maybe they're not in the position they want to be come December, January, February, but there's a lot of examples over the last uh, five years to a decade where that, you know, it doesn't matter. You can, you can always make a run and um, just, just getting into the playoffs is, is the first step and then anything can happen from there. Well, I'm always so impressed at, at a hockey player's recall. So listening to you talk about that goal from the from the cup finals um, that you remember, it, it kind of makes me laugh because, you know, you, you hear this with certain players that can remember just about every goal from their career and, and, and every big goal from other players. But, you know, 
I always like to ask this question to former players that now move on to be head coaches and, and managers. And, and we have a lot of that in our organization with Derek King, uh, Brian Campbell. I mean, you name it. There's a, there's a group of players that didn't play that long ago. Like you guys still played with players that are playing in the NHL right now. So I'm going to put you on the spot just a little here and ask you, what do you remember from playing as far as something a coach said to you or general manager said to you that at the time you wanted no part of and you were rolling your eyes at, you were biting your tongue, whatever your vice may have been, that you now hear yourself saying to a prospect, maybe it registered all these years later, I know this happens to me all the time. Coaches that I despise playing for when I'm broadcasting, I will use terms that they used or things that they said to me that I now think are right, even though I didn't want to admit 10 years ago. Um, do, you, do, you, do you have one maybe that, that maybe makes you laugh or, or makes you cringe maybe a little bit when, when you're dealing with our young guys? I don't think anything specific, no, no specific phrase or term, but it, it's just funny. You know, I, I feel like everything that we do in player development is, uh, is what we wish we knew more about or tools that we wish we had when we were young players trying to make it. Um, like, you know, I, I came into coming out of Notre Dame, going into Philly's organization. I was an offensive defenseman, you know, was touted to be the, guy was going to run the power play and and you know that that quickly fizzled i i was fortunate i was able to to figure it out quickly and i mean almost not quick enough before i was completely out of the league but um you know as a defenseman the the title of your position is defenseman so you have to be able to you know know how to play defense every coach especially in the nhl it's about earning their trust and and uh, them seeing responsibility in you and knowing they can put put you out there and you're gonna you know be able to take care of your own end. So um, I don't know. I guess I wasn't able to do that well enough uh, early on in my NHL days. So I had to quickly shift gears as far as uh, the the kind of player I was. So I, I just try to share my experiences with um, you know guys when we draft them that are that are more offensive minded or offensive oriented uh to let hey they have skills that i couldn't have dreamed of and and let them use them and and make sure that you never take away their creativity but help them realize that you know it's it's defense first you got to take care of your own end and then let the offense build off of that so uh just more of that general um concept is kind of my takeaway because i i laugh it would and a lot with the, the nutrition aspect too. I told the story recently about you know starting my career in Philadelphia, and you know Colby like pizza and cheesesteaks—they're phenomenal there. So it was every day after practice with the Phantoms, it was uh, cheesesteak for lunch, uh, maybe slice of pizza, and then you you mature your second year and you switch to chicken cheesesteaks so instead of instead of just regular cheesesteaks. But uh, no fried onions. Yeah, yeah. But, I mean, I was almost out of the league before I learned the importance of nutrition and, and learned how to train properly, how to eat properly. Um, you know, I, I think I was probably 23 or 24. I'd already been traded out of Philly by then before 
that light bulb went off that okay this it's an important important element to to your growth as a player so well spoken like a true management figure just you know hey you're not going to be offensive at this level i can't tell you i can hear that on repeat in my head when i'm when i'm sleeping at night so you know <laughs> but there are well, guys that be will be like i mean you you see kevin you know kevin has that capabilities to be that two-way defenseman that can run a power play and he has you know so you don't uh, it's not a clean blanket over everybody with that statement. Well, Mark, and to get back to Blackhawks prospects again, Lucas Reichel was recently called up by the organization. And for the last season and a half now, he's been a, a point per game scorer in the AHL. So he, he's established that he can score in the American League. And, and look, we're, we're all aware of general manager Kyle Davidson's plan. He wants to keep the Blackhawks top prospects in developmental leagues until, as, as he said, they tell us that they're ready to make that leap to the NHL. What improvement have you seen in, in Lucas Reichel's game from last year to this year? Well, I think a big focus, um, you know, when I'm in there and, and listening to Anders, a big focus with, with Lucas has just been his his habits away from the puck. You know, you you see his skills on full display when he has the puck. You know, he can get his feet going. He can get cruising through the neutral zone. He can make uh, world-class plays with the puck. It's just a matter of kind of like I just touched on that we talk about with the with the, the young D-men is, you know, uh, the focus on the other side of the puck. You know, when, when a puck's turned over in the offensive zone, are you taking those couple hard strides to get yourself back in good defensive position? It's the the second, the third effort. Uh, if you do lose a puck, um, you know to to try to get it back as quickly as possible. And he's made strides in those. Uh, the, the, he's, you know, the credit to him. Um, you know, we can probably be ro broken records at a time at times uh, talking to these guys about these certain habits. But uh, I don't think they can hear it enough. They're they're so important. And, you know, at, at some point it will, it does register with these guys. And, you know, I think it's, it's started to register with Lucas and uh, you're starting to see some of those better habits in his game more consistently. Um, and yeah, now it's, it's take it to, to the NHL level and, and uh, do the same things there that, that you've been doing with Rockford. Mark, Kyle had said uh, he brought Lucas up, especially in that Devils game, because he wanted him to get a taste of that speed and to bring that back down with him to the American Hockey League, see where he goes from there. Um, without putting you on the spot again, like how, how is that with somebody, a high prospect like him who's had NHL action already? You know, Do you just give him a taste of it and leave him down there for a while? I mean, how many times do you want him to come back up without putting a number on how many NHL games he'll get this season? You know, do you want to keep seeing him perform at the NHL level with more consistency or do you just kind of give him a taste and like you said, let him get back down there and work on his habits? Yeah, I think it, it depends on the individual, how, how much you want to do that. I think the, the timing was right with Lucas that, that first call up with New Jersey. Uh, he had, um, he had shown that he had made a commitment to, to, strengthening some of those habits that we just talked about so you know 
reward him for that. Show him that, hey, when you're working on the, the right things, you're, you're playing the right way, you're, you're going to get rewarded. Um, and then there's always a worry when a player is up in the NHL and gets sent back down um, that, you know, they think it's going to be easy. The, the American League, is a, it's a hard, hard league. In a lot of respects, it's harder than the NHL. Uh, so, uh, but I think Lucas experienced that last year. Uh, he had kind of gone through some of those growing pains when he, when he came down from Chicago last year. Um, and, again, it's one of those things you can tell the guys till you're blue in the face, but they have to experience it for themselves that – uh, they, for whatever reason, they all think it's going to be easy when they come back down. Hey, I was just playing in the NHL. Uh, now I'm playing in the minors, so I'll just be able to show up and, and make an impact. But it, it doesn't work that way. So I think Lucas learned that last year. Uh, you know, and I think when he came back down from his first stint this year, um, he was re-energized. I think that that NHL game, uh, you know, helped with his confidence and and. Um, and energy level, and he, he, he brought that back to Rockford right away when he got there. So, um, and here he is being rewarded again. So, yeah, I don't think you want, you know, 10, 12 times a year, up and down, up and down. That, that's hard for a, a prospect, but uh, I think the timing thus far with Lucas, with his, uh, his recalls, has been, has been spot on. Mark, last one for me, but... Um... Speaking of words of wisdom, your father, Kyle, you've known for a long time, especially when he was very young, but he just welcomed his first kid. Do you have any words of wisdom for him, or have you got to caught up yet? And he's going to approach his second trade deadline with a newborn. <laughs> I, did, I talked to him a couple of years ago and just, just congratulated him and uh, you know, said, welcome to the wonderful world of fatherhood. There's, there's nothing like it. Your life will never be the same for the good. Um, and it, it was, I remember I, I had my first child while I was playing and you hear stories about it, that guys careers kind of take off after they have a kid. And, um, you know, I think when I had my first child, I wouldn't say I was an established NHLer by any means, but, uh, it just helps put things in the, in perspective. Uh, you know, so for him to, to have that now be, be holding that little girl and, uh, you know, not the ever accept or like losing, but you know if you watch the Blackhawks lose uh, against Tampa, you know it might not sting as much because you you know you still have that little girl there next to you. Um, so it, it just the perspective of it all, and um, it's no so no real words of advice, just congratulatory and uh, enjoy it. It's there's there's nothing better. Well, I know for a fact that uh, Willa has. Willa is Kyle's daughter's name, and mm -hmm. she's probably already seen about 30 <laughs> hockey games on TV, and she's only been alive for about a week now. Um, <laughs> and by the time she's three, she'll probably be an assistant general manager, having seen enough hockey with Kyle, because Kyle watches more hockey than anybody I've ever met in my entire life. Um, so I, I think we'll yeah they we'll make see, they, we'll see. they make good scouts. I I'll take my daughters to college games with me every once in a while, and they <laughs> I won't even tell them other prospects people I'm looking looking at, and uh, they'll they'll point them out by maybe by the second period. Dad, so and so <laughs> really good skater. So they they have good That's eyes. Awesome. They have good eyes. Uh, yeah. I love that. That's I love awesome. to hear that. Careful, Mark. You could be uh, you could be grooming your replacement. <laughs> <laughs> Happily, right? Yeah, absolutely.
<laughs> well, this is a good note to wrap on, Mark. Thank you so much for doing this. Again, you're you're in a hotel room, uh, you know, in player development. Your life is is on the road a lot, and we really appreciate the check in and and uh, you know, especially as this process continues for the Blackhawks, we'd we'd love to have you on again. We really appreciate your insight. Ple your insight. Pleasure was mine. I, I appreciate uh, chatting with you guys for a bit. It was fun. Our thanks once again to Blackhawks Assistant General Manager Mark Eaton. Certainly looking forward to checking in with him again either later this season or certainly at prospect camp come July after what will certainly be a very exciting draft for the Blackhawks after this current NHL season comes to a close. All right, let's get into sellies and chirps. You know the drill by now, but in case you're a first-time listener or viewer, the three of us bring a discussion topic to the table to our co-hosts and invite either a celebration or a chirp. And Kaylee has got a topic that she's dying to share with us, and we're going to let her start the latest round of sillies or chirps. I would like to first discuss the, um, the flight situation over the holidays. It was horrible for everybody, for players, for us, for anybody that was trying to fly around. The weather was also tough in the Midwest. So airports were crazy. Tensions were high. Luggage was all over the country, Southwest, in cahoots. So my cellular chirp today is, is not necessarily one or the other, but what in your experience, especially having traveled a little bit over the holidays, is your worst pet peeve as far as flying etiquette, whether it's on behalf of the passenger or somebody from TSA on the other side of things? Chris, why don't we start with you? What's your biggest pet peeve in flying etiquette? So uh, the last flight that I flew commercial, uh, I checked two boxes. Oh, commercial. Yeah. Thank, thanks for joining all us normal people in the commercial space there, hot shot. Yeah, can't, I, I, can't hear you from the I first class. I didn't, have, uh, didn't have a care in the world over the holidays flying on the Blackhawks charter plane. You mean, the, you mean the Wurtzes don't just give you their plane to use on the off day, Chris? That's only an off-season perk, you know, <laughs> okay. during, during, the, during the season there are lots of demands. Okay, all kidding aside, yes, I am very lucky to Commercial fly charter fine. with the Blackhawks. One of the many, many, <laughs> many perks of the job. Flying commercial, however, I was, uh, again, I, I was almost like I was paying the toll for, for not flying commercial in a long time. So I got hit with one pet peeve, which is flight attendant shows up late. And so with an incomplete crew, you can't, you can't board the plane. I mean, never mind taking off. You can't even board the plane. You just have to sit in the terminal waiting for the flight attendant to show up for, after sleeping through his alarm. It was an early morning flight. Now, fortunately, I, I didn't have a connection to make, but there were a lot of people who, whose connections were in serious jeopardy because the flight attendant slept through his alarm and we're just sitting there unable to board the plane. Like everything's ready to go. Like, are you kidding me? I mean, we can take off one flight attendant short. All right. Like maybe I don't get my peanuts or my cup of coffee on this flight, but we can, we can fly out on time. The second major pet peeve that went on. And, and this I think is, is probably my biggest was, was the screaming child. Um, you know, I, I don't know. Again, I'm not a, I'm not a parent, you know, Kaylee, you certainly have a lot more, I think empathy to, to a situation like this, but you know, it, it's like the screaming child. I mean, you're on, you're in a tube, like 
30,000 feet in the air and it's like, there's no, there's no reprieve. So that's probably, that's probably my biggest pet peeve. It's not like, again, I feel sorry for the parent first and foremost, you know, I I would imagine there's just nothing you can do to a certain, a certain extent, but um, it's brutal. brutal. Kelly, I think you and I are going to need to, we're going to need to buy Chris a pair of noise cancellation headphones because apparently that technology has not made it to the Vosters residence. So I think you and I know what we need to get Chris as his next present. It doesn't always work, man. I mean, next like a child, a child stringing, that is that's some serious decibel. I, I will say to your first point, I, I I cannot stand when they say flight attendants aren't able to. I think that's a total lie that they overslept. I'm not sure what they actually are doing, but I just don't think they're equipped. So that's a huge pet peeve, and I know the, the Blackhawks charter would not wait for no. any of us if we overslept our alarm. So I'll make that point. Nor should they. Uh, screaming child is just a no bueno situation for anybody, but there's absolutely nothing you can do about it besides cookies, crackers, and once those run out, it's game over and they just run your show. So, Colby, best of luck when you have your first flight with your little girl coming up, but I apologize, Chris. The sounds are awful, but it is just a, a lose-lose situation for everybody, and there's really not a whole lot once the iPad, the cookies, and the crackers dissipate. <laughs> I definitely shake my head when people don't know how to board an aircraft because there's so many people that don't understand, like, go into your row, let some people go by, then, you know, you throw your bag up, but you don't need to hold everyone up, you don't need to, like, make a scene, like, it's, come on, it's quick here, uh, and and I, yeah. I've gotten better at just, like, ignoring that and not letting that, you know, get under my skin with the with the boarding, but I'm definitely sitting there half the time just, like, shaking my head, like... I remember my first time flying like, oh, my goodness, like you're an adult. This isn't that hard. So great topic, Kaylee. I'm even I'm like sweating a little bit talking <laughs> what's, about this. What's Kaylee's pet peeve? I for, you're right. I forgot to share mine. Oh, I should yeah. have started out with mine I'm and sorry. I totally forgot because I was and too now you got me all fired up and I'm like sweating a little bit. You would not be a fan then. Danny and I, my husband and I have, I have pre-check and he doesn't have pre-check. So I have to go every time in regular with my pre-check and take my shoes off. I would send him with your kids and tell, see you at the gate. (laughs) I usually take the kids because I have pre-check and they don't have to worry about it. But yes, you would definitely be irritated by the two of us. I would see you put your headphones on as soon as we got in line. So that's a character flaw on our part, but we're getting better at that. And then I okay, so Danny TSA pre Kaylee. I mean, <laughs> you got to help me there, Chris. I have I have initiated everything, and it's just it's not gonna. Ha- it's like taking family portraits or like let's do this. It's next just time not I see him, I'm gonna be like I... Danny. Do it, do it for the rest of the world. Pre- Seriously, <laughs> man. Come on, it's gonna be hard to top that cellular chirp. But you want to go next, Colby, or should I? Yeah, I, I think I could jump in next because uh, a lot of the, the Blackhawks players have recently been talking about what their favorite restaurant is. And, and a number of these guys said Gibson's Italia. And I just thought that that was ironic because I just had my first Gibson's Italia experience probably in the last couple of weeks. Um, we went to dinner there. My wife, Steiny, and his wife, as we mentioned, John Steinmiller earlier Your in the episode. Steiny? 
my wife and Steiny oh, and his wife okay. Kate. Okay. Um, thank you for that, Chris. Yes, I appreciate the, the clarification there. Um, he does have great hair, but uh, anyways. Um, and we did not have a great experience. It was my first time there. Uh, we actually ran into one of the players there um, uh, who was dining with a, some buddies of his from out of town. So it's obviously a hot spot for them. But first off, we got sat at a table by basically the back door. I mean, you might as well have just sat us in the bathroom. So right away, I'm like, my antennas are up. And I'm like, why are you putting us where, like, why are you burying us in the back of the restaurant? I mean, Steiny, you know, with that beautiful head of hair, you'd think they'd want him at like the front of the restaurant so people could see him. Um, but then we went all in on our appetizer order. I mean, all in. And they Shrimp brought it. And- oysters. I mean, we just went all in. They brought our entire appetizers out after like 30 minutes. It took a while. Gave them to the table next to us. And the table next to us was a family, three generations, a kid, his dad, and his grandfather. And they were like, oh, we know someone here, so they must be hooking us up. And like Steiny and I are watching this happen, like starving. We're all starving because we had to wait for our table. We had a couple drinks at the bar. And... It did not end well. The, then, uh, the, the server came by another 20 <laughs> minutes later. This is 45 minutes after we ordered the appetizers. And I'm like, hey, well, sir, do you know when our appetizers are going to be here? Um, and he like tried to play it off and was like, yeah, yeah, the kitchen's backed up. And I said, well, aren't those our appetizers right there? Oh, yeah, well, that too, he says to me. So the guy's like trying to play it off. So it just it spiraled down. It, it's, I, it literally needed the headphones, Kaylee. It, it yeah. spiraled downhill. I will say the food was pretty solid, but the service was highly disappointing. Um, and there's Will just so back? many, mm. there's so many great options here that probably not because if you have that bad experience, it's like, I've, I've enjoyed my meals at the regular Gibson's. If I'm going for Italian, I, like it's hard not to go to club lucky, which is near where I live you know, but so probably will be a while before we get back there. So what about Cellier Chirp here? You guys on Gibson's Italia? Are you off Gibson's Italia? Like, I know I just went on another tangent. I barely even produced this as a Chirp or Selly because now Kaylee got me all fired up over the airplane. <laughs> uh, go, I'll go first, I guess. I'm going to chirp the the situation for sure that's extremely disappointing i can't really celebrate or chirp gibson's italia because i haven't been um so i'll try to just take out of it you had the right idea though i think and when you invite family or friends into town i do think italian is the universal go-to for like a restaurant to bring somebody because i think i've made a few mistakes this year going to trendy places that offer a limited menu of food or like seafood and somebody's that I didn't realize is not into it. So I'll just celebrate Italian food with the fam and friends is always a yes, especially visiting into town, but chirping your unfortunate situations that I'm sure you would have loved to have. Your I thought you in. would have been celebrating Colby's second meltdown of the episode. I, I really, I thought that you would have celebrated that. <laughs> yeah, there you go. In your defense, we all sort of had a meltdown. So yes, I'm, I am celebrating that you stood up for yourself, but I, I do feel bad that that was the ex- that's uh, that's what happened because I had higher expectations. Meltdowns for everybody. You have a meltdown. You have a meltdown. <laughs> have a I'm going to I'm going to chirp Gibson's Italia. Um, 
Look, I, I just think that I, I, I haven't talked to anybody who actually lives in Chicago that, that goes mm. there or like includes Gibson's Italia or Gibson's Steakhouse for that matter in, in their regular restaurant Rolodex. To me, it's the, it, it's the typical place where you go when you're visiting and, and staying in the city or where you, you, know, you take someone who's in from out of town. My cellular chirp has to do with the number one pick in the draft. And the Chicago Bears just earned the number one pick in the NFL draft for April of 2023. Somewhat surprisingly, going into the final week of the NHL, of the, excuse me, the NFL regular season, the Houston Texans were in position to earn, if you will, the number one overall pick. Houston Texans, up until yesterday, were coached by former Bears head coach Lovey Smith. And in an unexpected turn of events, the Texans won their last game of the regular season, knowing full well that all they needed to do was lose to secure the number one pick in the upcoming draft. They won, and the Bears find themselves with the number one pick in April's draft. So, are we celebrating or chirping that? I mean, the number one, obviously there are a lot of mock drafts out there, and there certainly will be in the days and weeks to come, but the number one, one of the number one picks projected in the upcoming draft is a quarterback, Alabama's most recent starting quarterback, Bryce Young. The Bears, for all intents and purposes, have a quarterback of the future so they don't need to draft a a quarterback at number one overall you would think so are we celebrating or chirping the number one pick in the draft for the bears and i guess to get a little bit deeper you know do you trade the number one pick if you're the bears do you uh you know take the best prospect available even if it's a quarterback if you hang on to the number one pick what 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 do we sort of feel about number one draft picks in general is it a blessing or a curse what do you what do you what do you think I will say, you know, the GM for the Bears had said that they're going with Fields and that he'd have to be absolutely blown out of the water for them to decide to take a a quarterback with that pick. Um, So from that standpoint, I think looking like, obviously we do a lot more, I do a lot more work with NHL specifically. You do a lot more around other sports too, Chris, and have called and analyzed other sports, you too, Colby. So I don't know just how much the NFL and the NHL differ in terms of the the parity or how much, you know, number one picks mean to an individual team in that sport. For hockey, I I think there's a big drop-off when you get to a certain point between 1 and 32 and even 1 and 11. Uh, and every year it, it differentiates. So this year, Bedard, you know, is a franchise-changing player. That wasn't necessarily the case last year in the draft. So I would say in the NFL, I would celebrate keeping that number one pick, especially since they already have their franchise changing. Well, since they already have their quarterback, I should say, in fields. I, I like celebrating number one picks and evaluating this draft class. You know, I'd have to do my homework a little bit, but I think that it would do well to build um, and address another position that they need to address with that high of a pick. I, I celebrate it because it gives you leverage. And I think sports is all about leverage, you know, and I, and I think you get the first overall pick, you might be able to turn it into, you know, two picks um, somewhere between, let's say, number three and number 10 or something like that. And 
especially with the NFL, it seems like more of these quarterbacks that they take in the first couple picks than not don't work out. They put them on teams that are bad. They don't have people well blocking for them. Look at the kid in, in New York right now, Zach Wilson. You know, that whole thing has become a total dumpster fire. I just feel like in the history, at least of me watching the Eagles drafts, uh, as a kid and stuff, they've just had more success when they've drafted defensive players uh, in those early first round picks because those players seem to have longer, more impactful careers. Um, you know, obviously going back to like Donovan McNabb, who eventually made his way here even to play, I think, right? Or he's from here. There's some connection from McNabb here in Chicago, but I, I celebrate it. I think that. Again, uh, for any general manager, I think that just having the leverage of having the number one overall pick gives you options. And I think for, for GMs, uh, options are king. I think, it's, I think we're going to find out whether or not the Bears really believe or to what extent the Bears believe that Justin Fields is the future of the franchise. Um, you know, they've, they've been saying that all along. And, and again, what choice do they have? But now with the number one pick in hand and, and some good quarterbacks – projected to go very high in the first round uh you know do you trade down and and address needs at offensive line wide receiver defensive line uh you know do you or, or do you trade Justin Fields and and take uh take another quarterback first overall and and um you know further that because again this is not the this is not the general manager and head coach that that uh, that drafted Justin Fields either so once again, uh, thank you to everyone who makes this podcast a reality. Our DJs, Brad Dollar and Southside Jake, for the music here on this podcast. Our executive producers, Trevor Bray and Jenna Rose. And thanks especially to you, our listeners and viewers. Again, plenty more content is available at Blackhawks.com. There was a new content day this week involving Blackhawks players. Jake McCabe took over Twitter, so... There's going to be some uh, interesting stuff floating around on the interwebs, and make sure you start at Blackhawks.com if you're looking for the latest Blackhawks content. (laughs) The World Wide Web. The World Wide Web. I love interwebs. On that note, for Colby (laughs) and Kaylee, I'm Chris. Thanks so much for tuning in, and we'll talk to you next time on the Blackhawks Insider Podcast.